This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 95. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, so today we're going to talk about a topic that is based on a work by Todd Kashtan. And it reminded me of a an excerpt in the Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix book. Now, for those of you who don't care about Harry Potter, bear with me for a moment because these these this topic is simply too important uh, to just not, you know, to just skip off just because you don't like Harry Potter. Now, if you do like Harry Potter or you're mildly interested but you don't remember the context, um, this scene happens after a girl that Harry Potter, the main character, um, is in love with a girl called Cho Chang. So Cho Chang used to um, date a guy who just died um, two or three months ago. Um, and he was—he didn't just randomly die, but he was killed by the evil wizard, Lord Voldemort. So the three friends, um, Harry Potter, Ron, and Hermione, are sitting together and discussing uh, what is happening with Cho. So just that you understand what is going on. Well, obviously, she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she's feeling confused because she liked Cedric and now she likes Harry. And she can't work out how who she likes best. Then she'll be feeling guilty, thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory to be kissing Harry at all. And she'll be worrying about what everyone else might say about her if she starts going out with Harry. And she probably can't work out what her feelings towards Harry are anyway, because he was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died. So that's all very mixed up and painful. Oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's been flying so badly. A slightly stunned silence greeted greeted the end of the speech. Then Ron said, One person can't feel all that at once. They just explode. Just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon doesn't mean we all have, said Hermione nastily, picking up her quill again. While Hermione is a bit snarky and not very nice here, she excels at the topic we are talking about today, which is emotion differentiation, sometimes also called emotional granularity. So what is it exactly? Emotion differentiation is a skill where people are able to describe emotional experiences with specific detail, often in the moment that they occur. It means that someone has great emotional clarity about how they're feeling at any given moment. This involves not only labeling emotions, but appreciating emotional complexity, which means that we can disentangle both both positive and negative emotions we are experiencing um, simultaneously. That's what the excerpt above illustrated really well. The girl they're talking about, Cho, she lost her boyfriend, right? So I said that. She does not just feel attraction, which is both exciting and a bit nerve-wracking, but all kinds of other things. Hermione, the girl who's talking about 
This shows a great understanding of emotional complexity. The better you are able to differentiate your emotions, the better you can regulate them as well. Interestingly, the ability to label emotions is more important than how emotions, how intense negative emotions are. So when it comes to your well-being, it is more important that you are able to label these emotions accurately than how strong you feel about whatever bad thing has just happened to you. As we get older, we also get better at emotion differentiation. It seems like it's the most powerful in the heat of the moment, uh, which is actually very useful because if you think about it, that's exactly when we need emotional regulation the most and it's usually the hardest. So a lot of approaches try to make you suppress these things or uh, transform your anger, rage or um, sadness or whatever it is into something else entirely. Emotion differentiation says, no, that's not necessary. All you need to do is to be able to really kind of disentangle these emotions and label them properly. If we wanted to judge how well someone else is doing, looking from the outside in, it's not enough to look at their experiences. So you can't just say like, oh, well, they went through a lot of horrible things, therefore they must be super unhappy. Even people with frequent intensive and negative emotions can be healthy from a psychological point of view and functional if they are good at emotion differentiation. And that's pretty amazing if you ask me. So what are the benefits of it? Well, people feel less overwhelmed when things get hard. People use 30% more strategies to reduce bad feelings and increase positive emotions compared to people who don't really understand emotion, um, emotion differentiation. And the reason is that once we're able to kind of um, parse things, it becomes more obvious what needs to be done next. People who are good at emotion differentiation also drink 40% less alcohol than those who don't. Furthermore, they are 20 to 50% less likely to seek aggressive revenge and also react more relaxed when they're faced with rejection. They show less physical arousal or of the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, I had to look that up. I knew I learned that back in biology, but I had to look it up. So that part is responsible for our fight and flight response. So that means that somebody who is good with emotion differentiation um, does not exactly get kicked into like, all right, I have to fight or, f or flee. Um, but they have a little bit more time to kind of consider what to do, which is a good thing. Uh, unless something is actually trying to eat you, in which case it's very good to not emotion differentiate just then. Uh, that means we're less likely to run away or punch someone um, or do other actions which we might regret afterwards. People who are not good at emotion differentiation, on the other hand, use the same limited range of emotion words over and over again so they would just say i'm happy i'm sad you know like they have an emotional vocabulary of about six words and without wanting to make people feel bad uh, you know who have this or where this is the case 
All I'm saying is that this is such an important strategy and it has so many benefits that if you are the kind of person who has only six words for emotions and you find that you are really not that good, this is one of the cases where it really pays off to invest a little bit of energy. Google um, a couple of emotion words, you know, list of emotion words, Google them and try to kind of map them to your experience. In the beginning, it's a little bit harder, but it's one of these investment that, that just pays off, um, you know, X fold of what you put in. People who are not good at emotion differentiation are generally more likely to react in unhealthy ways. So to drink, take drugs, that kind of thing. Um, They're more likely to lack the focus needed to solve the issue. Um, If they actually get to solving the issue, their um, solutions are often not specific enough. They're too generic. And that's actually not that surprising because emotion differentiation is about specificity. So if you don't understand specificity, it's very possible that you try to kind of use a one-size-fits-it-all coping strategy. But unfortunately, that's usually not the case with most people. People diagnosed with clinical depression are less able to display emotion differentiation compared to healthy people. The same is true for folks with social anxiety, autism spectrum, eating, and borderline personality disorder. It wasn't explained in the research, um, in the main research article, which I consulted for this episode, whether these people have low emotion differentiation to begin with. Or if, for example, depression reduces existing abilities to do this. That wasn't specified. Um, If you know about this, I would love to hear it. The process is actually fairly simple. Um, Emotion word labels are used to dissect a moment and possible and then kind of move on and look at possible follow-up actions. So once we have named emotions, they become easier to control. Sometimes even the labeling itself is enough for us to feel better and and more in control, and we don't even have to do anything beyond that. Sometimes the simple act of labeling shines a light on what needs to happen next, Um, something which might might not be obvious if we just kind of let it stir around in our head in in a kind of amalgated way. So if we look at what happens when we investigate emotion differentiation, so the preferred method for the science nerds um, in the audience is to use what is called experience sampling. So the cool thing about experience sampling is that we are all pretty terrible, actually, at remembering what happened. Our memory is not as good as we think. Now, of course, there's some people whose memories are better than others, But overall, we're actually not that reliable when it comes to counting blow by blow what happened, who said what, who felt what. So the cool thing about um, experiential, um, about, sorry, experience sampling method means that you will just have like random beeps throughout the day. And then instead of trying to remember how you felt at some other point, you just have to describe how you're feeling now, what's happening, who you're with. And that will sh- um, that's just so much more reliable than trying to remember things or, or forecast how you might feel in the future. To evaluate how well a study participant does, they have to know about the emotional experience from an 
emotional point of view and that they meaning the researchers and that's a challenge with emotion research because if we kind of say like well you're good at emotion differentiation and you're not um, we have to know what the person is actually feeling which is tricky if they can't tell us right so that's a little thing that they have to contend with um, researchers have to really look at how can they get an objective understanding from how the person is feeling and um, researchers usually solve that by showing people, um, for example, clips which are known to evoke certain emotions such as disgust or pride or, or um, laughter or whatever it is. And then most people feel that way and then based on that, they can ask them to then differentiate their emotions. Folks who are afraid of spiders, that was an interesting study, um, showed less avoidance if they are narrating their experience, than those who are trying to cognitively reframe things. So cognitive reframing means like saying things like, well, actually the spider is not that big. Now that is true, but the interesting part of it is it does not feel true, right? So yes, objectively speaking, the spider, spider is not as big as a soccer ball, but that doesn't really help if you're actually terrified of it. If, on the other hand, you're just labeling your emotions, it's a disgusting spider, it's hairy, and I, I, I feel creeped out by it. If I had the choice, I would run for the hills, but I have to admit, I'm also kind of fascinated by the effect it has on me. Well, there, all of the things you said are true. Now, more research needs to be done on this particular topic, but I would expect, and it doesn't surprise me, and it somewhat pleases me, actually, that that this uh, respecting our inner truth, even if the objective truth is, you know what, the spider is not dangerous, it's not interested in you, um, those things are all scientifically and factually true, However, it doesn't feel true to the person. So when we cope with something, we have to acknowledge what feels true to us. Now, I know that some of you will cringe, especially when we, um, in, in the light of all this, like fake news things that are that is going on. And I'm happy to talk about this topic another time. But now for emotion differentiation purposes, you just have to know that if you're afraid of something, it's more helpful for you to kind of narrate your experience and make sure that you don't just say it's disgusting, but actually try to dig a little bit deeper and chances are you'll feel better about it already. In school kids, teaching emotion differentiation for 20 to 30 minutes a day uh, a day, one day per week, showed positive changes in both behavior and academic performance, which is pretty cool, isn't it? So if you're if you're a parent, um, you might try to teach your kids how to do these things. So when you ask them, how do you feel about it? Um, try to dig deeper, ask them to dig a little bit deeper. And if they say, I'm angry, say, hey, is there anything else that 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 is um, mixed in with that anger? Or is it just 100% anger? Um, what is super cool about these findings is that teaching emotion differentiation is actually neither that hard. Um, it's not complex, you know, for example, if you, if you have to learn other approaches, you have to learn the theories behind them, the models, the exceptions and all of that. Emotion differentiation is pretty simple. Um, it's not necessarily simple to be able to pull off, but it's simple to teach because it doesn't involve a lot of steps. 
So here are a couple of links to other relevant concepts. So obviously meditation and mindfulness tie in nicely with emotion differentiation. Labeling feelings and thoughts is also meditation skill. Um, so if those of you have only done mindfulness meditation where you're basically just focusing on the breath, you might not be familiar with this. But if you've done even slightly more than that, you chances are at some point you will have heard uh, one of the teachers telling you about noting um, or labeling, where you just say like thinking, thinking, uh, feeling, feeling, something like that. So it goes kind of in that direction. It feels... it. It fits well with the idea that even negative feelings can be faced and accepted without necessarily glorifying them or giving them more room than they deserve. What is interesting is the question of whether emotion differentiation includes judgment or not. Um, meditation asks us basically and cultivates the ability to look at things in a non-judgmental way. However, with emotion differentiation, we are doing the opposite. If we feel disgusted by the spider we talked about before, we say, I feel disgusted. We don't say, well, the spider deserves not to be judged, right? So this shows that depending on what we are trying to do, the same concept, in this case, non-judgmental um, thinking or being, can be helpful in one context, but hold us back if we're trying to do something else. Um, emotion differentiation is also linked um, to authenticity. So expecting, uh, exp expressing, expressing our inner truth eloquently, whatever it may be, means that we have to be able to understand our reality in the first place. We have to transform it into language and have the courage to express it, even if it's just to ourselves. So summary, emotion differentiation is the ability to disentangle how you feel at any given moment and describe it specifically, remember how specific Hermione was, while respecting the complexity of your emotional state. It has a lot of benefits and not being able to do this well has many drawbacks. Compared to other ways of dealing with emotions such as distraction uh, or reframing, the spider study indicates that it might be more powerful than those other methods. Therefore, it's really, as I've said several times, really, really worth investing yourselves in if you feel you, you can't really do this just yet. All right, that's it. So, announcement. Um, if you enjoyed the shorts that I used to have on this feed, um, there is a new podcast that I have where I upload the shorts, which I do with the um, anchor.fm app. And it's called Positive Psychology on the Go. So check out Positive Psychology on the Go. You will find it wherever you find this podcast. Um, and what I like about Positive Psychology on the Go is I really think it's a good supplement to what I do in these more regular episodes, right? Because I think where we often err when it comes to becoming better people is usually not... Um, lack of knowledge. It's usually not, um, we've never heard of things, right? So even if you've never heard of some positive psychology concepts, the biggest 
challenge is to kind of understand when and how to apply it in life, how to recognize it as it happens to you in real time. And that's what I do with positive psychology on the go. As things happen to me, as people ask me questions, um, I address those things. It's a little bit more raw. I don't use the same microphone because I use my phone. Sometimes I'm walking around. Um, but it's it's more specific, I guess. It's more it's more kind of taking the theory that informs everything that I do and think about anyway and applying it in real life. Also, I liberally share when I screw things up or do not uh, live up to my values. So if you feel like, oh, uh, these people who talk about psychology, they all seem so perfect and they all are talking down to me. Uh, I hope you don't feel that way. But if you do, head over to Positive Psychology on the go because every once in a while I admit to some kind of screw up as it happens. And uh, I think that's important. I think we have to put our money where our mouth is. So, other than that, I wanted to give out a shout out to those folks who have made our Facebook group the Positive Psychology Podcast. Instead, you're looking in case you're looking um, a, a fun place to be. So, just um, for info, somebody else snatched up Positive Psychology Podcast. I'm not sure what their intentions were. I guess they hoped they could get some of you to join their group. Um, that's all I can think of. So my group or our group is the Positive Psychology Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. And the coolest feedback I've heard is that a lot of people who usually say, well, you know what, I think um, I kind of wanted to limit my social media and I usually do, but this is a worthwhile place to come to because there's really community spirit. It's not just about sharing links and more knowledge. It's actually really more of a community thing where we talk about psychology, obviously, but we also really share our own experiences and what's happening in our own lives. So here are a couple of reviews. Um, now, before I um, read these two reviews, I just I was just wondering, like, the Irish and the Kiwis like to listen to this podcast, and I know this from the stats. You know, you are in the top 10 of countries, but I have not received a review from any of you. So, which one, which country, Ireland or New Zealand, will the f be the first to review this podcast on Apple Podcast or Stitcher? I'm, you know, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I don't have a, a gut feeling. But if you have any country pride and like this podcast and would like to share it with others, make sure that other people in your country can hear this, then the thing that you can do that's really easy is to just go over, head over, rate it, give it, you know, as many stars as you think it deserves, and give me a little review. Write a couple of words, long, short, whatever, just do it, and I'll announce who won, the Irish or the New Zealanders. All right, so this first review comes from A, B, 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 Y, X, 3 from the US and says, this is a great podcast. I just feel like a friend is talking to me and telling me stories. Refreshing to listen to and I love Kristen's perspective and insight about positive psychology. Thank you very much. I assume your name might be Abby. <laughs> um, thank you, Abby, for your feedback. I love the fact that a lot of you um, think that it feels like a friend. I, I like that it's so personal to you. 
And yeah, thanks for leaving the feedback. We've got another one from Bouncing Cat from Australia. Says, feeling like a positive leader. Thank you, Kristen, for the energy you put into the podcast. I am the leader of a work group in a large company. I have been looking for a podcast I could sit my work group down and let them listen to at least once a month in a group meeting. As you say, the things people are measured on in large companies really don't help encourage people to achieve the goals they set. I have recently discovered your podcast through recommendation from my partner, um, little interlude. Thank you, whoever your partner is. Um, I feel by utilizing your positive messages, my work group will thrive. Thank you. Much love from Darwin, Australia. And one day I'll be able to pull off an Australian accent, specifically probably in 2019, because then I will be heading to Australia. Bouncing Cat, thank you very, very much. Um, this is absolutely awesome. And the reason why I'm super enthusiastic when people, I mean, I love it when people implement it by themselves. Obviously, that's the, to me the biggest compliment when people actually do stuff in their own life. But one step above that is actually do it in your own life and then do it with others. That is so cool. And I just wanted to let you know that if I can help you out in any way or if any um, issues come up, um, any questions that you feel stumped by, please send me an email. And also, I would love to know what happens to your group, um, what new things happen, what new dynamics emerge. So let me know. My email is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, at strengthsphoenix.com. All right, that's it. Talk to you later. Bye, 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 bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthsphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with happy yogurt.